You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for listening on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, and on Spotify. On today's show, we have the NBA Outsiders joining me in just a moment to talk all things NBA, as we do after a very entertaining Christmas Day of Games we had possibly the four biggest contenders in the NBA face off in the Bucks and the Sixers and then also the Clippers and Lakers. So we discussed those teams. What did we learn about them as the, the big hitters in the NBA face one another uh, with the Sixers, with the Bucks, the Clippers, the Lakers? Which teams are truly 16-game teams and which ones are 82-game teams? What do we have to look forward to and what teams do we have the most confidence in moving forward, uh, especially in those particular matchups as we – may be so lucky to see them face off in the playoffs in a few months. Uh, also, we talked about All-Stars in the NBA. Since All-Star voting has officially opened, the NBA Outsiders are officially talking about it. Um, some key contention points in the West and the East in both guard and forward positions here because uh, there's a lot of good players, a lot of great performances to this point. So with All-Star voting opening, we now discuss and we tell you who we believe should be the All-Stars in the NBA. A couple other topics, but also if you are here for the namesake of the program, that being New York, and that makes you a New York Knicks fan, you have to stay tuned for the end of the show today because our last segment is dedicated to the Knicks, the new-look Knicks under Coach Miller. So long to David Fisdale. What is tangible here? What matters? What's real? What can we believe in? And also, do we expect this to continue? Because it's tough to really say, but when you watch this team, there's a new look, a new energy, and seemingly some new strategies that have been very, very delightful for Nick fans to observe uh, for the past couple weeks now. So we discussed the New York Knicks at a decent length in the last segment of this episode. Also, three of us made our Super Bowl favorite picks uh, off the top as we now have the playoffs locked in. The 49ers, since we started recording on Sunday night, have officially beaten the Seahawks with a very close game. Russell Wilson tried his best to work his magic, uh, but just fell a little bit short, and now they lose out on the bye as the Niners lock in the one seat. So a quick little football segment off the top, followed by some great NBA talk. But if you like what you've been hearing, don't be bashful. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. As we finish up 2019, it has been an awesome year. We've had some really great episodes, some good feedback on the podcast, and it means the world to me when I could log into that iTunes app or Apple Podcast app, check out the Sports Blog New York podcast, and see some new stars up in there, see some new written reviews up in there. Uh, it really does mean the world. And entering 2020, what better time to say thank you for the past year or even past years as we enter a new one. So I wish nothing but the best to all the listeners. 2020, a big glow up for you and hopefully for us as well. All thanks to you. So we have big expectations for ourselves. We hope to accomplish some great things, hit you guys with some new content. Can't wait to share with you guys some of the things I've been working on uh, for the podcast and really kick off 2020 strong with some great content continued throughout the NFL season and the NFL playoffs and the basketball season, of course, and baseball just around the corner. I can't wait. So thank you for 2019. I look forward to 2020, but I also look forward to this episode that starts right now. Oh, 
All right, here we go with Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. I am your host. Joining me, my co-host, the NBA Outsiders themselves, coming back after Christmas, right before the new year, to bring you that NBA talk. John Lucas Duffy, what up? What up, what up, PD? Chilling, brother. And, of course, Frank Villani over there. Frank, what's good with you? What's going on, PD? How you doing, brother? Happy New Year almost, bro. I appreciate that. Appreciate that very much. It's been a hectic week and a half. I feel like I've just been in the car driving around like a madman to everybody's house and doing all that holiday stuff, which is fun, but it's damn exhausting. Uh, and I'm happy to be sitting with my mic in front of me, the Lakers versus Mavericks uh, on the TV behind me. It's a it's a good moment to be back talking to y'all, for real. Definitely, and uh, we kind of we, we definitely screwed up by doing this during the game, but sorry, we can all watch. Technology you know what? is amazing. Multitask, and when Frank talks, we can just shut off our mics, Duff, and just watch the game. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll take the lead today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, on our day of recording this, we're recording Sunday night. We obviously had a big football Sunday as well. The 49ers and Seahawks are also in motion as we speak. The Niners have a 19-7 lead as we speak as well. So the NFC seeding is not quite set just yet as we record this. Um, but we do know who is in the NFC playoffs. The AFC, however, is set. And uh, probably the biggest shock of the day in Week 17 Sunday was that the Patriots could not seal the deal against the Dolphins, which is crazy. So basically by is then— a super big shock? Like, didn't they do the same thing last year? I feel like they always—they almost always lose to the, to the Dolphins. But they, they weren't—they didn't, the, didn't lose to the Dolphins last year in Week 17 when if they won, they secured a bye. They lost. That's true. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean much. And today they lost to the Dolphins. Uh, they did not secure the bye. They needed the Chiefs to then lose to stay in that bye position. But the Chiefs took care of business with a huge kick return from Nicole Hardman. Some big plays from uh, Damian Williams and Pat Mahomes doing his thing what and whatnot. So the Chiefs secure the bye. Uh, so in the AFC, we have the Ravens and Chiefs with the bye. In the NFC, we may have the Niners and Packers. Or we may have the Packers and Saints, depending on how this Seahawks game finishes out but uh, real quick I know the NFL isn't the NBA outsiders thing clearly as uh, the name goes but let's have a little fun here for a second with the NFL playoff field set uh, do you guys Duff I'll go to you first do you have a team you'd like to pick as the favorite to win it all and then maybe a team that you want to see it all if they're not the same uh man it's always I feel like for a Super Bowl winner it's always best the team that seems like they're peak pick a team that's they're peaking at the right time kind of deal. And I feel like that's the chiefs right now. I feel like, uh, that, that would probably be my pick to win it. But I think I want the Ravens to win. You want to see Lamar hoist the trophy? Say what up to yeah, all the haters. He's just been so, like, I just want to watch more. Like I would add everyone to squeeze every week out of it. <laughs> I feel that. I mean, he's been so electric. He's been so humble. He's been, so fun. Like, all the great adjectives you can pick about a superstar right now, you can just put them under Lamar Jackson's name. Uh, and he, he's done just that week in, week out. Can't wait to I see. Ravens Ravens Seahawks would be the most fun matchup. Ravens Seahawks. I wouldn't mind to see the Saints and Drew Brees back in the ship. But I'll get to my answer oh, in a moment. True. No, that would so, be fun, too. So, Frank, why don't, why don't you go next? Who's your favorite, and then who do you want to see win it? I think the Niners are the favorite. They just, they've been through the gauntlet, and they're so... I mean, if they win this game, they'll still be standing at the top. But um, I really like their defense, and they're pretty balanced offensively. And uh, if I have to pick the team I want, it's definitely the Ravens, too. I mean, I think everybody in America has the same uh, favorite NFL player right now, and I think it's Lamar Jackson. I, I just watch him, and I think, like, 
how this translates to other sports. Like, I feel like he'd be a good basketball player too. Like, how do you stand in front of him? You know, yeah, you just can't. <laughs> he really just can't. He's been absolutely incredible. Uh, you so you said 49ers are your pick that you think they are the favorite. It'll be interesting to see if they don't secure this game against Seattle because it's a start of the fourth quarter as we speak at this moment. Uh, but they are in line to win the game. They may drop to a fifth seed. Like they can drop to a fifth seed if they don't beat the Seahawks tonight. So that's a crazy swing. But right now they are in line to win the game. We shall see how it ends up as the pod goes on. Uh, Duff, I'm actually with you. I thought I was being kind of like, you know, above the curve here when I started thinking this a week or so ago about the Chiefs. They're hitting the stride. They're getting healthy. They're figuring it out when it matters most. And earlier on in the season, when we were like, ooh, the Chiefs are really not healthy. Who's their running back? Mahomes' ankle, whatever. And. What, what their defense can't stop a soul. Now all of a sudden they're rolling. I thought I was being uh, very above the curve there, but it seems I am just with a lot of people. But I think that's okay because the Chiefs are looking hot. They're my favorite to win it, and the team. I think the Saints are right there though. The Saints are in terms of peaking sick. at the right time. Like I feel like it's been three weeks since Drew Brees threw an incomplete pass. <laughs> it's yeah. true. And Alvin Kamara is finally looking like old Alvin Kamara again. Yeah, I mean, he, he only had like he only had like forty yards today, but he had two touchdowns. So. Yeah, and then the team, that's a good point. He He's coming around. He's had, I'm sure fantasy owners know, uh, he's had a very quiet, weird year, but he is starting to peak now, and that, that's a good thing for the Saints. I'm going to go a little bit outside the box here with a team I want to see win it, and it's not my favorite team in particular. I'd be thrilled to see the Ravens or Chiefs or Saints or Seahawks uh, get in there and really work it up, maybe even the Eagles. Basically but anyone with the Patriots. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, I guess. Pretty I much, yeah. Uh, and I was even going to say, even the Eagles as like this underdog story here, but I'm going to go a different route. I want to see the Packers win it because they've had this season where they started off so hot. People are praising them. Uh, maybe LaFleur and Rodgers are going to work. Their defense is all, like off the charts. And then all of a sudden they became this totally uh, like deadbeat team where, yeah, their record's good, but like they're getting by by the skin of their teeth. Their defense actually gives up a ton of yards. They're not as good as their le- record is. Aaron Rodgers is like an average quarterback now. And I love that narrative when somebody who is that great, who deserves all the, the recognition, is kind of coming from behind now, even though they got a bye. No one's expecting them to do anything, and I love when big-name media people have to eat their socks and on national TV admit they were wrong and praise somebody who they often hate in Aaron Rodgers. So I want to see the Packers and Aaron Rodgers work some magic and do some crazy stuff. I'd be pretty into that. I'd enjoy that, too, just because, like you said, it's like they were great, and then all of a sudden everyone decided they were terrible, and it wasn't yeah. even like they were losing a lot of games. It was like everyone in the league had a weird loss this year. Absolutely. Yeah, like the Ravens lost to the Browns. Got to, smoked to, by the Browns, week, by the way. <laughs> yeah, week one, Seattle almost lost to the Bengals. You know, Seattle the lost to the Cardinals. Uh, that yeah. is a weird loss. The the yeah. Niners lost to the Falcons. The Patriots yeah. lost to the Dolphins, like we were just talking about. I also I just wanted to make one point on that. Uh, the reason I'm surprised about that, like, I mean, it's tough to beat any team twice in one year, right? The the stereotypical saying, but uh. Mm-hmm. They beat them forty-three to nothing the first time, and then lost them. That's that's got to be a first. That that's that's got to be something. That's a good point, right there. Right. Yeah, because they the, the Falcons, by the way, six and two in the last eight weeks. They're pretty sick. They saved Dan Quinn's job. Yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad, but we shall say. Also, some news possibly breaking in the New York area on Pat Shermer. It's seeming like he might be safe, but you really don't know. And obviously, if that happens, we will cover it here on the Sports Blog New York podcast, and also. Quick question for you guys before we hop into our NBA stuff. This is kind of a pseudo NFL NBA combo topic here. So the Dak Prescott whole not making the playoffs thing, his contract is still up in the air, could get franchise tagged, which doesn't 
like doesn't work in the NBA because it's not it's not a thing. But there's restricted free agency that might be the most similar thing. I don't know. But basically, my question is: Would Dak Prescott possibly getting this huge contract, or possibly getting tagged, or possibly taking a cut, or getting what he deserves? There's a lot of options here. Is there any parallel to basket a basketball player for Dak Prescott? Because you can't really compare quarterback contracts to other NFL contracts. They're just not the same. But you can compare quarterbacks to some basketball players. Is there a parallel for Dak Prescott in the NBA? And if so, does Dak deserve the max is my question. No, he does not deserve the max. But he'll probably get it. So who's his also, comp? So who's his comp in the NBA? Is it like is it is Tobias it, Harris? Is it Ben Simmons? Is it Ben Simmons? A guy with a few clear flaws in his game but some intangibles and some pure skill sets that are so obvious you can't deny it even beyond that right even beyond that super talented team under well i mean i guess the cowboys aren't really underutilizing it offensively but they're underperforming as a team and the sixers are underperforming as a team yeah so like are they holding them back or pushing them forward that's a good question the the ben simmons one is i did not expect that's pretty good what's up duff well he's the guy who just got a max and I felt like he didn't totally deserve it. Like, I would have loved to see him play again this year. Like, you see, last year we were saying, you know, did he really get better? And I was kind of on this side of, like, he kind of just raised his floor because he just he improved across the board for every st- statistical category. But he didn't, like, add a move or a different strategy or a different this. His handle getting that much better or whatever. But, like, this year it seems like he's taking kind of a clear step back. And uh, maybe it's – who knows why. But I wouldn't want to give him the max at this point. And, right, we, we, we say this a lot. We said it with Draymond Green's contract. We said it with uh, Ben Simmons' contract. Amongst a few other young guys, we're like, you didn't have to pay him yet. You didn't have to nope. do it. You could wait a little bit. And I think the Cowboys might actually do that. I think the franchise tag is in Dak Prescott's future, which will make him a rich man, but a short-term rich man. Uh, where he'll have to wait longer and longer before he gets the long-term deal I'm sure he really, really wants. I don't know. It's tough because you think about Tobias Harris, you think about Chris Middleton's of the world, and you really think to yourself, like, those guys got paid like they're superstars because you kind of have to. That's what happens with the Dak Prescott's of the world, but is that a good idea? Yeah, and to keep going on with the NFL stuff, I know we want to move on, but uh, Ryan Tannehill, what kind of money is that guy going to get? That's an enigma to me. And a guy who probably outplayed Dak Prescott well, definitely I played Dak Prescott in the second half of the season where it actually mattered most and ele- seemingly elevated his team rather than just keeping them at a solid floor. So I don't know, but if you're the Cowboys, you're not going to dump Dak for Ryan Tannehill. Like, Dak can handle the pressure. So I, I don't I don't know. It's going to be damn interesting to see what happens now, especially with them not in the playoffs. And also Jason Garrett, of course. That would feel like such a weird slap in the face to franchise tag him and then pay Zeke Elliott. They did it. That's it's ha- it's gonna it's gonna happen. It also seems a little backwards for today's weird. NFL. You know, it's like paying yeah. Andre Drummond, but uh, you know, qualify offering. I don't know, Blake Griffin. I guess I've tried to pick someone on the Pistons, but you know what I mean. Qualifying offering somebody who's like more of a today's NBA player versus a center like Andre Drummond. But it's like it's like uh, it's like drafting DeAndre Ayton instead of Luka Doncic. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect stuff right there, Duffy. And that will segue us into our NBA discussion for today. Sports Blog New York Podcast, Pete Kennedy, John Lucas Duffy, and Frank Villani. If you like what you've been hearing, uh, definitely hit us up on the Apple Podcast app. Let us know what you think. With a subscribe, rate, and review. Got a recent review, actually, from my boy Glenn Johnson. What's up, Glenn? He uh, said he loves the NBA Outsiders, by the way. Shout out to us. 
and he wants us to do a midseason NBA draft preview. So for Glenn, we promise you now, once we hit that midway point of the season, the NBA draft talk will commence because we like to give our listeners what they want. You have to give the people what they want. All right. Yeah. On to our first topic today. Christmas is obviously a big day in the NBA, and we had a couple really good games, a couple weird games, uh, but we're going to really focus on a few, I think two specific ones that turned out to live up to the hype. Uh, we had some good outcomes from Milwaukee and Philadelphia where the Sixers beat the Bucks, and also the Battle of Los Angeles. Those will be the two premier games, but just to recap, the Celtics uh, whomped the Toronto Raptors in Toronto. The Rockets played a dud against the Golden State Warriors in Golden State and lost and sparked a seemingly great win streak for the Warriors who have now won four in a row. And the Pelicans actually beat the Nuggets. So a few underdogs. Don't have to talk too much about those three, but the Bucks, Sixers, Clippers versus Lakers. I say we start in Philadelphia, and Duff, as our token Sixer guy who knows the ins and outs of this franchise, how impressed were you with the Sixers win on Christmas Day? And is there any uh, you know fallbacks that has happened since? Well, I was super impressed with impressed with the win. Obviously, like how could you not be? Um, but the thing that sticks out, you know, they they two things that stick out. One thing on the offensive end, they had. Um, they made 21 threes. I believe it was 21, which was a franchise record. And uh, if a team makes 20 threes, that's really just a tough, tough thing to overcome for any team. Uh, but then on the defensive end was absolutely the most impressive thing. Uh, and early, early in like the first quarter, Giannis got a few easy baskets on some like transition offense type stuff for him. And uh, that was really it. That was really the only way he was going to get some easy buckets. Cause after that, Embiid was really locking him down. I was super impressed by that. I was really, I like the strategy of just letting him shoot because look, if that's how he's going to be, that's how he's going to be. It's, it's, it's a place in his game where he's definitely improved, but it's still the weakest part of his game for sure. Like he's definitely a better passer. He's definitely better at attacking the rim. He's the best in the league at doing that. Um, So I was super impressed with Embiid's defense. And I really think, you know, that Horford signing, it was kind of, kind of it, it, it seemed like kind of weird like that they would go for this guy who was older in the division whatever but it actually for three th- reasons it made a lot of sense one they didn't have to fucking play him anymore and this way and b just only has to worry about marcus all uh who he still can't figure out uh two <laughs> it gives him a big man to stagger instead uh when Embiid's on the bench because that was the biggest weak point when they in this particularly in that raptor series when Embiid was like plus they were, the Sixers were like plus 98 for the series when Embiid was on the court and then like minus 110 when he was off the court. And that was uh, like the obvious difference in, in the series, uh, especially when Embiid was like kind of sick and he had some weird injury, whatever it was. It was it's still unclear. Um, I think he pooped his pants. He pooped yeah. his pants maybe once or twice. That's fine. <laughs> I've been there. That's George Brett. If you haven't heard that story, just YouTube it. It's pretty hilarious. Um and then the third thing is now you have another big body to throw at Giannis and then Horford, obviously a great defender. We see it against Embiid. And now he can kind of like impart some of that wisdom to Embiid, a teammate. So you have Embiid, you have Horford and you have Simmons who can all switch not, not only with like anyone in the league, but with like Giannis in particular, who seems to be the most freakish. He's the most freakish player we have. So if you have three guys who can reasonably contain him, that's a huge win. Uh, so I, I, I really think that's the big takeaway from that game. But at the same time, after the game, if we did, like I was saying this before, if we did this, uh, if we talked about this game, like on Christmas, 
it would have been a totally different story. Now we got to talk about the fact they lost to the Magic in the Heat on the road by one point in each game, uh, which is super annoying just because they can't beat anyone on the road, and they, it seems like they always uh, play to the competition. So if it's a good team, they play great. If it's a bad team, they play down to them. Like They're always close against the Knicks, and the Net- they lose to the Nets, the Magic. They can never seem to beat for whatever reason. And uh, and now the Heat, who aren't necessarily you know kind of a worse team, but worse. I mean, they're better right now. Wait, they're better right now, but it's just it, it, it's a team that everyone thought they should have been beating. What, let's and recap real quick. Their last couple of road games, and Frank will go to you. Uh, a loss to the Wizards at Wizards. They beat the Celtics at Celtics. Lost at the Nets, and then won at the Pistons. Lost at the Magic. Lost at the Heat. I mean. When you throw in the Magic in there, you throw the Wizards in there, you throw the Nets in there, those are those are three or four wins that have to happen. Like, it's the Philadelphia 76ers, and we criticize them because we have such great expectation, but you can't lose to the Wizards. You can't do it. You just nah, can't. You can't. Especially when you're it's fighting like for seeding. You can't, when you're fighting for seeding, you can't lose to the Wizards. Agreed. Um, really, just to build off a dust point, though, um, I guess the one thing I'll throw in extra is that kind of like to me was epitomizing why I picked them preseason to be, you know, hoisting the trophy at the end of the year. And it was, it's crazy to do it at that time of the year, but I did it just for fun. But like, that's why I don't know. They, they show up in the big game. They definitely play to the level of their opponent in a negative way and in a positive way, not just a positive way. Um, but just from the talent wise, they showed up on the biggest day. They showed up when there was, you know, when they were on national television big time. Like to me that that shows that was the maximum potential that they could be. Like that's the best the Sixers can be. If they can get to that point at the playoffs, get hot and stay there, like I do think they'll make the NBA championship. But and- of course, you know, you gotta put yourself in good seating, make it a little easier so that you're dead tired by the time finals come around if you wanna win it. So I get that and the frustration that Sixers would have with them losing all these games on the road. Um, but, man, ton of upside. Probably the most for a single team in the NBA, besides maybe, like, the Clippers show up in big games, too. They look really good with both right. Kawhi and Paul George. Well, I, I think it's the perfect blessing and a curse because, like the things you just highlighted— they can they can play with everybody in the league, and sometimes teams become you know Draymond Green's famous quote from last year like there are 16 game teams and there are 82 game teams like he said we as in the Warriors back then were a 16 game team. It's almost like the Sixers are just saying we're a 16 team game uh, 16 game team, but they kind of aren't yet. Like we're looking at them as that, but they haven't even made a conference finals yet. So. Mm-hmm. I understand and I agree, and I think they are a 16 game team, but I think they got to take 82 more serious because what happens with this conference right now, and you know, we all poo pooed the Eastern Conference uh, early on in the year because clearly the West is the one to beat, so we thought. But you look at one through six in the Eastern Conference, and yo, it's tough out there. And if the Sixers are a fifth seed or a fourth seed, like you're only getting one series, maybe, maybe not even if you're a fifth seed of home court advantage, that comes back to bite you when you have to go to Boston over and over again. comes back to bite you when you have to go to Miami a bunch of times or to Milwaukee if you do get that dream matchup one day in the playoffs. But that's why we picked them. Their upside is so freaking in front of our face when they play a team like the Bucks, and then they shit the bed. What can they do offensively to stay consistent? Because when their defense is on, they're nearly unbeatable. Um, is there any one particular player still that needs to figure it out? I, I, Embiid, I think we know what we're getting now. 
Uh, he's the he's the guy. Horford is Mr. Consistency, if you ask me. Some of their role players are hit and miss, but we're not going to count them. Out of Richardson, Tobias, and Ben Simmons, is there one dude who you just think, like, come on, dude, you need we need more out of you night in, night out? I think the obvious answer is Ben, but what do you guys think? I think expectation-wise it's Ben, but, like, he's never – he he's never been much better statistically than he is right now. This is definitely his worst, like probably one of his worst seasons out of the three or four that he's had, but um, it's still pretty close. I would say Tobias Harris is shooting. Like they were kind of banking on him being at least like, you know, a 30 to 35% shooter from three. And he hasn't consistently been that for them. this year. So I, I think I would go with Tobias especially with the big contract he just signed. Uh, I would say t- Ben Simmons still, because you watch him on offense and my, I was watching the games with my brother and he was making a point to like really focus on Ben Simmons. And you just, and we had seen, uh, we actually went to the Sixers Mavs game on the 20th, the Friday before Christmas, where they got blown out by like 20 points to a Luca Mavs team. Uh, and you watch Ben Simmons on offense and he just doesn't do anything. Like he has like lazy handoffs or, and then he just hangs out in the dunker spot or which for those who don't know, it's like kind of around the block, like in between like the corner and the block, like down on the baseline, just kind of hanging out for offensive rebounds or lobs. And then, which is like not a threatening area when you're playing against a man to man defense, maybe against the zone, it's a little more, but, um, Tobias Harris in the month of December, to your point about shooting, Frank, he's shooting 38% from three in December, 34% overall for the season, which tells you how awful he was uh, in in uh, November and October, even though it was only like four games. But in the month of December, he's got 22 points, uh, six rebounds, three assists, and uh, he's shooting 38% from three. So I think he's actually stepped up his game a lot. And the biggest difference between Tobias Harris and Simmons that I see is effort like I really don't see a ton of effort from Ben Simmons whenever I watch him play and it's really disappointing to see a guy that athletic really not go all out go all out like go even you know you were saying before Frank before we got on the pot is like what if he went as hard as Russell Westbrook and it's like that's almost not even realistic there's only two players in the league I feel like who play that hard all the time it's Russell Westbrook and Giannis and and, Patrick Beverly and Patrick Beverly good point (laughs) <laughs> so it's like it's like really only three dudes who are really gonna play that hard all season long but if he played like 75 percent as hard as russell westbrook he would be a completely different player i feel like now he's he's definitely been great on the defensive end and so the sixers kind of as a team have been he's averaging over two steals a game which is pretty impressive uh but i i still you just need more like if you're gonna pay a guy max money and we talked about this with the Dak prescott thing which is kind of weird but we talked about this if you're gonna pay him max <laughs> money like and he's not even score 15 points a game, and he's your point guard. Now, we're just at a point in the NBA where if you're going to be a point guard, you need to have score. Like yep. Point, like, show me the point guard that doesn't score. It doesn't even exist anymore. So I, it's Alpha kind of Payton, bro. he's become. Like, are we, yeah, <laughs> and the next have 12 total wins. <laughs> I'll just mess Like, around. are we sure that you would rather have Ben Simmons than, like, Rajon Rondo? Oh. Oh. I mean, defensively. <laughs> You def- defensively, Sixers- yeah, defensively, yeah, but like I, I feel like um, Rondo makes his teammates a lot better. Would you rather? Would the Sixers be better with Spencer Dinwiddie? Mm, he kind of he almost takes too much shots for that team, too many shots for that team. But he's a 
he's a better fit in theory. The pick and roll with Spencer Dinwiddie and Embiid or Horford would probably be much more dynamic just because Spencer can shoot and score uh, uh, near the hoop. I don't. I don't know, Frank. That's a good one right there because you're basically right? saying. I just, I just thought about it. <laughs> you're saying take a lesser, I think a lesser player. With like Kyle Lowry. Yeah, Kyle Lowry's Kyle a good Lowry. one. I think he would be a great fit because he does. He he gives it up and he'll he'll spread the sugar, spread share, share the sugar, spread the wealth, whatever that saying is. Yeah, uh, but like Ben Simmons, kind of just spreads the sugar. He doesn't really uh, take it for himself, and he needs to start doing that. Uh, I do want to move on quickly, though. I know the Sixers are a contention point for us. We talk about them a lot. About the Bucks, though. The Bucks kind of showed a dud here, and you mentioned in the open of this conversation, Duff, about uh, Giannis and Milwaukee. In order to beat them, you want Giannis to shoot as many times as you possibly can make him shoot, and that's kind of what the Sixers did. He went over 7 from 3. I think even if you play Giannis and he goes five for seven from three, you have to take it because that's your only <clears throat> advantage you can find. And if Chris Middleton's a leading scorer with 31 points, I think more often than not, you know, the other team's going to win the game because Giannis is the heart of that team. Is there anything, as we watch this Bucks team, continue to pummel uh, their competition, their 29-5? and five. We, we talked about this uh, previous podcast, like the Bucks beat the teams they're supposed to beat, which is great for 82, but are they a 16-game team? Like the Sixers want to be, like the Bucks want to be, uh, and some teams in the West. So, what are the the drawbacks with the Bucks right now? Um, Just if Giannis isn't going, like who else yeah. is it? Chris Middleton, like you said, you're not really scared of him. And then everyone else, like definitely not scared of Eric Bledsoe, definitely not scared of Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo, Brooke Lopez, Robin Lopez. Like none of those guys you're worried about. Those are just they're they're all really good pieces to have around. Um, Giannis and like none of them are bad players but there's just nothing that they go as Giannis goes if he has an off game or if someone can defend him and contain him like the Sixers did that to, to me that's why this game is more about the Sixers than the Bucks. uh it, it's just if Giannis isn't there if he doesn't have it if he doesn't have it going on that particular day you really can't get and which doesn't happen often obviously like they only have five losses but that's that's the whole key he's their whole team yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, to the point you made about them being a 16-game team or an 82-game team, um, I don't know if you guys watched the Lakers-Bucks game in Milwaukee, but they kind of put it on them. And Giannis, I thought, pretty much single-handedly outplayed LeBron and AD. And specifically to your point of going like 5 of 7 from 3, he hit five threes in that game, which is, I think, his career high if it's not tied for his career high. Um, but man, he looks so unstoppable when, when he really has it going, if he has any sort of a jump shot, like I think the Bucks win that game, like pretty simply because he's that unguardable. Um, but man, I also really think that they're a team that should continue to kick the tires on Chris Paul. Like they got to find a way to get Chris Paul in there without giving too, up too many assets because I think Chris Paul, Giannis, and a good plethora of those two guys that you mentioned before that they don't all play well on every given night, but any given night they could have a good game. Um, could be huge for the Bucks because I think Eric Bledsoe is partially what's holding them back. Like we just mentioned before, how important the point guard position is. So, yeah, for, for I think sure, they can stand and to to improve there. Yeah, we're gonna get into the Thunder actually in a later conversation. But are they willing to trade? Are they looking to make the playoffs as they sit currently in the seven seed, two games above five hundred? Um, that'll be interesting. It'll be really hard for the Bucks to make that trade based off the money, but they'll have to give up basically all the picks, uh, some sort of giant contract like Chris Middleton, or I don't even know who else makes enough money to make that work. But 
Brooke, Brooke Lopez? I don't think he doesn't really make that much right now, but he'd have to probably be in the deal. And like, then what? I don't know. It's, that's an interesting call right there. It's, it's weird. But yeah. is there another point guard out there who could possibly be on the market that can help them? I'm not sure, but that's definitely something to monitor as we get closer to trade season. But yeah, the Bucks are they a 16 t- game team or 82? We shall see. But they continue to pummel all the weakest links in the NBA with ease. Uh, moving on to our next Christmas Day game, that was quite the doozy. The last one we'll talk about here today, the one we were all waiting for: the full force Lakers versus the full force Clippers. Uh, technically a Lakers home game, which I guess kind of helps, but even a Clippers home game would probably be more Lakers fans, as we noticed on opening night when Kawhi was trying to do his little speech and they were booing him. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so in this game, we kind of saw a lot of things, but one thing we saw, I think most people would believe, is we saw Kawhi Leonard assert himself as the best player on the court that that particular day. Is that something we can chalk up when these two teams play each other, or did the Clippers just happen to get the best of the Lakers right now with maybe not 100% LeBron after he just nursed a little injury? Um, what are your big takeaways from Clippers-Lakers? The Clippers I... are a more complete team. That's oh, yeah. the main Easily. takeaway for sure. They just have more ways to beat you on the offensive end and the defensive end. And you know when they have their best five versus the Lakers' best five, it's, it's, just, it's better, and it's not really anything you can argue. Um, Patrick Beverly had eight points in that game and he was probably the second most important player for the Clippers that in that game, I'd say without question, he was the second most important player behind Kawhi Leonard. Cause in the fourth quarter, everyone saw the block he had on LeBron. Mm-hmm. He also had, he also had like either one or two more steals in that fourth quarter and then three big rebounds. One of them on the offensive end, he's just so active. And Frank, you mentioned it before, he's just going hundred miles an hour. At, at, at any given time, opening tip, end of the game, middle of the third quarter, doesn't matter when it is. He's giving 100% effort. He's uh, like the guy in pickup that plays full press from from tip to yeah. to 21. Yeah. He's like, all right, dude, I want to move. You hate playing against him, but you, yes. you love to have him on your team. He's just the epitome of that guy. Yeah, I mean um, – it's to me, it's so weird. Like, I don't know because it's it, it by all accounts to me, it looked like LeBron just avoids all the smoke from Kawhi Leonard, uh, gives the ball up when Kawhi is defending him and really just doesn't play him defensively ever. So, I think in a playoff series, you won't see that, but I, I kind of think that's like LeBron doing his I'm not showing my cards thing, but like at the same time, it kind of reflects poorly upon what we're trying to do right now, which is reflect on the game that just happened, you know? So I, I really don't know. I, from starting five perspective, I don't know. I would say like eight deep, the Clippers got them easy because Montrez, Harold, Lou Williams, even though Lou Will didn't play well on Christmas, um, like th- those guys are are just and a class like above. Like, like they're Jim just Michael a class above. Yeah. Harkless, like you just trust those guys more than you trust someone like – Caldwell Pope or Alex Caruso. Caruso. Yeah, like we love Caruso, but or Avery Bradley, I, like yeah, for sure. And and to me, it, it's kind of disappointing because they played, but they're both like they were on the fence about it before the game with like you know recovering from injuries. So I feel like they they copped out, but they they still played hard. I'm not trying to say they didn't play hard, but that was definitely, definitely playoff atmosphere type game. Yeah, yeah, yeah for real. The, um, like not a, not a ton of playoff execution in terms of like hunting mismatches or stuff like that. Like exploiting Lou Williams is something that teams will do in the playoffs. And Lou Williams did not have a good game uh, against the Lakers. He only had six points on one of six shooting. That's 
definitely something that the Lakers uh, didn't try to do that they can definitely try for next time. For but sure. it's, it's tough. Like, how are you, you going to hunt one guy when any other of the four can, can, can guard? Can switch, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Clippers, in a way, they have a... I don't know. It's not a one-to-one thing here, but from a defensive standpoint, it's kind of a Warriors-esque situation where, like, you know, Montrezl Harrell isn't quite as dynamic as Draymond Green, but, like, Kawhi and Paul George are. But Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green were such a dynamic defensive trio. And when you look at Kawhi, PG, P-Bev, and Trez, like, those four guys create the same exact thing on for uh, when you're playing defense and you watch them it I think uh who was I listening to maybe it was Zach Lowe or something like that he said I was watching the game I, I felt like I was just seeing arms swing around like the Clippers just have so many arms like flying around the court and it's just insane because there's so much energy they're all the four guys who take so much pride in defense especially we know what Pat Bev likes to do uh when he's on the court but it's like a team that we really haven't seen. It's kind of like what we think the Sixers can be. The Clippers do more consistently on a defensive end, and they, they wreak a little more havoc than the Sixers can um, consistently, though they don't quite have the rim protector like Joel Embiid. But the Clippers, man, for some reason, they have a little Sixers in them too because they lose some games they're not supposed to lose as well. So like, what's that about? When you see the Clippers come in on Christmas and beat the Lakers, but then they lose a close game uh, you know, to a team they should beat, do you get some of those same, you know, pauses, or do you chalk it up to them only taking the big games more serious? So, is it something there, we should be worried about? Basically, no. There's Kawhi 16. Leonard is a sixteen-game player. Yeah, like the same. They, I, I definitely see the parallels you're talking about between them and the Sixers. But Kawhi Leonard has proven, like he he is the trump card. Like the 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 Raptors played like that last year too where they were just kind of you know Kawhi missed like what 20 games or something like that just 21 I believe yeah but the Raptors yeah. were sick without Kawhi last year they lost like yeah, four were. or five games without him. but but and that's fine because they hadn't like proven anything or whatever like and and then they had maybe more I don't know they, they, I look at the Raptors and they were kind of more of like a system team that had some continuity between Kyle Lowry uh Fred Van Vliet Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, like all those guys had been there for a while or came up in that system. I, and I really think that matters. Not everywhere, but in Toronto, that feels like it, it like means something to me. I mean, clearly Whereas, with their record right now. Yeah, with and exactly. And with the Clippers, like the only thing that really stuck out to me is like something that, or, like a point of continuity that would, from last year to this year, like when I think about Clippers, it was really just the Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell pick and roll. It wasn't right. like defense. It wasn't like uh, a great distributor on the offensive end. It was just like they had guys who did stuff all above average players, and they had one really excellent offensive strategy. That was pretty much it. Because uh, some of their uh, recent losses for the Clippers include a six-point loss at the Thunder and a three-point loss at the Bulls. Like those are games that the Clippers should not lose. I think they were up by 24 at one point in the Thunder game too. Yeah, like that, that can't happen. But – uh, again, for some reason, we don't have the pause we have with the Sixers that we do with the Clippers, and maybe it's because Kawhi's done it before. The Sixers don't have anybody who's done it before, who has that ring, who has that Finals MVP, uh, or let alone two, in their trophy case. The Sixers don't quite have that, but we want them to have it, so we judge them a little more harshly with the Clippers. We're giving them more of the benefit of the doubt. Uh, before we move on, though, quick, I, just, I, I we talked about this early in the year when we were doing the Over-Under podcast uh, and talking about the seeding. I think it's going to be extraordinarily important in the Western Conference as well as the Eastern Conference for these top teams because you know you can be 23 and 11 like the Clippers are right now but they're a four seed and they're they're slotted in to play the Rockets in the first round 
is there a team that you would be more like who's basically who would you be more nervous about if they did slide into that four range ish the Lakers or the Clippers like basically who do you think home court is more important to in that scenario when the Lakers are playing against the Clippers no 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 I'm talking about in playoff base uh, for basically against whoever they're playing like who is it more important to make sure they secure a top one or two seed the Lakers or the Clippers I would say the Lakers I I, Kawhi he doesn't care like they were I think they were they had game seven in the second round against the Sixers like I but they didn't have it against the the Bucks. It didn't matter. I mean, that, that series is closer than people remember. That was a game three where it went to triple overtime or double overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could have been a completely different series if the Raptors lose that because then they're down three zero, obviously. Right. Uh, but I I think it's I think it's the Lakers. I think it's more just kind of like a point of pride. And if it was really important to the Clippers, they wouldn't be losing to the to the Bulls by three. Like right. like you said, I re- yeah, and they wouldn't be as committed to load management like they are. But like honestly, they, they are a hundred percent committed. And for for either one of those teams, like, are you worried about them on the road against anyone? The Rockets, yeah. You're worried about the Clippers against the Rockets on the road. I'm pretty sure the Rockets have beaten the Clippers twice this year. Just saying. I don't care. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. Like, if you're talking about a team that uh, is not doesn't care about being on the road or whatever, the Clippers are what nine and eight on the road right now. It's not very good. <laughs> it's not. It's not very good for a team that's supposed to be the best in the league. Like, it's not great. I mean, I know Kawhi doesn't give a crap. I know he misses his fair share of games for load management. I know Paul George is really good, but they're nine and eight on the road right now. There's zero percent chance. The the only team that can beat the Clippers or the Lakers is either the Clippers or Lakers. That's really how I feel about it. Two team race in the West, according to Duff. All right, all right. I see you. I don't Kid think. doesn't like the doesn't like two MVP point guards on one team, bro. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. Uh, do, were you not watching on Christmas Day? You want to talk about it? Yeah. Uh, no, nah, I was just making it funny, bro. But that Doc Rivers said it. You know, that's why they lost the second one. He's yeah. like, we just focused on Harden, forgot that Russell Westbrook was an MVP candidate no, kind of guy. Just, it's just like one of one of out like one of out of every four four or five games, Russell actually put together a good like a pretty good game, and that just yeah. happened to be that one. And they usually win those games, though. Yeah, they do. I just I, I just think that's a that's a closer series than you may think. It's a, and especially right now they're in lockstep right now twenty two and eleven versus twenty three and eleven. If Houston has home court advantage right there, I, I think it's a closer series than than you're letting on. But um, there's a lot of stuff to play out in regards to the standings. Obviously, are the Mavericks going to maintain uh, a three seed pace? The Nuggets are right up there at two right now, just kind of trucking along in the Western Conference, and Lakers currently lead uh, as the one seed. But it's time to move on. NBA Outsiders on the Sports Blog New York podcast. It's almost All Star season, boys. It's actually it, it is All Star season because the voting is yeah, officially the voting open. open the voting is open, and this year is uh, is going to be an interesting one because though we are proud of the Eastern Conference teams and their success to this point, you know, with the Raptors being really good, the Heat being really good, the Pacers being almost ten games over five hundred, and then teams we expect obviously the Bucks, the Celtics, the Sixers. Uh, the all-star contention is not quite the same in the East as it is in the West, especially when it comes to starters. So let's start in the more interesting conference. Let's start in the West. So, Duff, why don't you give us a quick breakdown here of uh, some of the guys who you think are close to locks or who you're voting for for the top five starters for the Western Conference All-Stars. All right. For the West in the backcourt, and I don't think it's close at all, I would. It's it's got to be James Harden and Luka Doncic. They're, you know, Harden's almost averaging 40 and Luca's averaging thirty 
with like 10 and 10, I think. I think he's averaging a triple-double or damn close to it. So maybe a 30, 10, and 9. It's real close. Um, and then in the front court, I have Anthony Davis, I have LeBron James, and I have Kawhi Leonard. Now, the one you could talk me out of is Kawhi Leonard, but I just basically am like, all right, he's the he is like one of the five best players in the West, no question. So why am I going to leave him out of the starting five? That's basically why I put him in. My only qualm would be the one you just said. I, I think it's tough because with all-star appearances, maybe records should matter, but it doesn't always. And I, a guy who I kind of want to see or I think deserves consideration for this top five starters in the Western Conference is Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, the dude is just insane when it comes to numbers and what he's now doing on the floor with step-back threes and basically taking over. The only detriment to him is the Timberwolves stink again, and that sucks, but like he is off the charts as an individual talent, and the All-Star game is about individual talent. It's not always about record. Uh, I think Towns could get my nod for my vote over Kawhi, but I do agree. Doncic, Harden, no-brainer. LeBron, AD, no-brainer. And then my contention point would be Carl Anthony Towns. What do you think? Um, I think it's reasonable too, but I think I'd have to go with Duff and Kawhi. You gotta, you gotta go with your superstars. Also, the Timberwolves have fell off a cliff like the past two weeks. So. Yeah, they're they're like really bad all of a sudden, like really bad. Yeah, like that's you see, you guys are gonna make the same point to me when we go over to the East. Which, if you don't mind, I can go right now. Let's get it. Uh, oh, one thing I want to say. One thing I want to say about the West, though. To your, if I don't have, um, I would definitely have Towns as like six and or or four in the front court, like the fourth guy. Uh, statistically, he's definitely better. And then right behind him, Brandon Ingram. I just want to mention that. Ingram. Yeah. yeah, he's been pretty good, man. He's he's been, again, he's on a team that stinks, but his personal growth this year, like he's becoming the player everyone expected. I just wanted to slide that in there real quick. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Definitely deserves some recognition, but for the East, I'm going to start at point guard. Uh, if you guys are surprised by this, I'm not sure you really understand me as a person. Um, (laughs) it's Trey Young, MVP, (laughs) uh, Trey Young at the one, Jimmy Butler at the two, um, and then forward spots, probably Giannis and bead at the center. Uh, and I guess that that other spot would be the one that's of contention for me. I don't have a clear candidate. Well, I actually um, just to just to slow. Oh, Jimmy Butler is actually uh, a a forward here. So you said Giannis and Embiid. Butler yeah, would but have I, to be a forward. I, I'm another guard with Frank here. I, f- I feel like they will or should fix that and make him available as guard or forward. I think like, ba- based mind, off of a two guard, but based off of like history of the NBA and what they do with these voting things for all NBA teams, they will not. They're not yeah. changing it. They're not changing yeah. it. So annoying. How it it is. It is very annoying. Because I would I would have wanted to put Jimmy Butler in there as a guard, but I can't have him in there as a forward. Right, but he technically, if you close. think about their lineups, like he's pretty much always the three because there's Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic. Two of them are pretty much always in. Like, I don't know. I don't know if Jimmy's a two. I he is a two. No, but. this might change, and this my answer for for I don't have him in as as a starter, but that answer could change for me by the time February rolled around. Well, I'm I'm a straight oh. up hypocrite if you want to hear why. Because. Uh, so, so I just said how Carl Anthony Towns, I think I would consider putting him over Kawhi, even though his team sucks. So in the Eastern Conference, I changed <laughs> changed my pace a little bit. Uh, for my guards, I went Bradley Beal, who kind of fits that Towns road, uh, role. Like, team's not very good, but he's insane. I went Spencer Dinwiddie over Trey Young for my guard spot. Just based off of, like, the lift that he's provided, I think 
that's something you don't always see in numbers, even though his numbers have like zoomed up since Kyrie's been out. But what he's been able to do to stabilize that team and possibly make them better, arguably make them better, which we'll discuss in a moment. I'm going Dinwiddie for my vote for, for Eastern Conference guard. I think the narrative helps him out, and the fact that the Hawks have been terrible kind of makes me just tick Spencer just above him, despite Trey's numbers MVP, being fantastic. Bro. I mean, I watched, I actually was at a Nets game, Nets Hawks, and Trey Young dropped 47, and he wanted 50 so bad. <laughs> he was making six step back threes, floaters like every single time he shot them, they were dropping. But Spencer Dinwiddie, playing with five fouls in the fourth quarter, absolutely took over the game. He, he put up, I forget exact, his exact numbers, but he put up 40 and just could not be stopped, especially since Trey Young was trying to guard him at certain points. They couldn't even keep Trey Young near Spencer doing because he was going right to the rack. I, I, I know Trey's numbers are insane. His offense is really, really fun to watch. But the narrative, the lift he's given to his team, and the increased numbers. I like Dinwiddie as a guard starting all-star. How about that? Wow, dude. I don't think it's crazy. Snubbing the MVP, dude. <laughs> the no, MVP. I think the guards are like are completely a crapshoot for for the East. Like I have, um, did you say your forwards, Pete? I did not. My forwards, I have in here. I have Jimmy Butler because respect what he's uh, done to that Heat organization right now. I have Giannis, obviously, and you know I could have thrown in Embiid in there, but I threw in Pascal Siakam. Another one of those things where like he is just lifted a franchise he's lifted his game so much and i'm rewarding uh his personal growth and insane numbers to this point okay i like bam <laughs> i like bam i was stuck hey. on my 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 four i'm throwing bam in there i got two miami heat in my starting five i think bam should be an all-star but not a starter uh, i think he will be for, i think you're right I think you're right. I think coaches are love him too. Like he's just the type of dude where everyone looks at him and watches him play, and you're just like, man, wouldn't it be so fun to root for this guy and have him on my team? Like, yeah, everybody wants the Bam on their team. That's that's the real answer. I know I want a Bam. Guy's off the charts, athletic, and his passing is insane. He's he's like the Draymond Green All Star, except he's better at like scoring the ball. Um, he's he's off the charts, Bam. Watching him play, he's he's a freak of nature, and I feel like. We all did a disservice to him at uh, in college at Kentucky, right? Kentucky, he was, mm-hmm. uh, where we just didn't get to see him shine uh, at all. He was stuck around too many good players. We didn't get to see what he can really do, and he slipped down to a late lottery pick, and the Heat got an absolute steal, defensive gem, and who knew an offensive gem as well. Yeah, man, he's got the vision. Um, all right, for my for my starters for the All Star team in the East, I also have Bradley Beal. He's he's averaging 28 points, six almost seven assists and five rebounds. Um, that's pretty great. I'm like that's just pretty great. And he's he, I look at Trey Young and his numbers are so specific to his situation. Like he is on a bad team, and that's not really his fault. It's there's they're pretty much supposed to be bad. Like they're very young. Like DeAndre Ayton's a rookie, or I'm sorry, DeAndre Hunter's a rookie. Cam Reddish is a rookie. He's been disappointing in real life games per usual. Uh, they don't have John Collins. Like it's it's. I understand why the team is what it is, but they're they're just bad. I don't typically like to reward players on bad teams in these type of situations, like a la the Carlton Towns thing we just talked about before. But I think Bradley Beal is a way better player than than Trey Young, and a player that every team would say yes, absolutely, I want that guy on my team. He makes us better right now. And I don't think you can say that about Trey Young. 
Um, All right, now, actually, then, I have a question about that before you pick, make your next pick. Is okay. it is it fair or unfair to say in the NBA there is something to kind of like earning your place there? Like, it's so rare that a rookie makes the All-Star team. Now, I know we thought Luka could have, should have, would have made it last year. <laughs> Uh, but didn't make it. He almost made it as a starter, but then the fans almost stuffed the ballot for him. He was right. I I looked it up actually. We were talking about it before the podcast. He was the second highest vote getter after LeBron James, and he was only uh, he was short by like less than four hundred thousand votes. Wow. It, the picture, so, the video of him crying when he found out. That's how everybody voted felt. <laughs> for real. Yeah. So wait, is it fair or unfair to say that there is something to kind of like earning your way there, and the fact that Bradley Beal is a multi-time All Star already? Like he gets the nod over a statistical like tie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that matters. And also, it Luca comparing that Luca last year to Trey Young like this year is not exactly a one to one comparison because the Mavericks were much better than the Hawks are right now. Um, yeah, they were like a five hundred team. Yeah, as and, opposed uh, to a team with six wins on the year total. Right. So I think that matters. I, like winning is essentially the tiebreaker for me. I know that's not an individual thing and an all-star thing. You know, all-star voting and selections is an individual award, not a team award. But when I look at Bradley Beer and Trey Young, like I said it before, I every other team in the league would want Bradley Beal. I don't think every other team would want a Trey Young. Like, did the Clippers want Trey Young? Does he make them better? The the Lakers like do they all shoot better, the, bro? Do the Sixers like do those with all those teams? Does having Trey Young make the, all those teams better? The Sixers probably, yeah. I the don't Sixers, think so. Yeah, they can shoot. Then they need shooting. Yeah, but I think he would just become like such a gunner. Like that's in his DNA so much at this point, and he might be building like bad habits having that on other teams. And defensively, he's such a liability. Like I would rather have Ben Simmons' defense than Trey Young's offense. Yeah, it's so tough. Like, it, does losing become a part of players? I know Chris Vernon on the Ringer NBA show. He always says this, and sometimes his takes are a little old man takey for me, but I do enjoy the show. He says about these players who are on the Lakers: Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart. Now they're on the Pelicans, and they were supposed to make the Pelican team so much better and this and that, and they haven't been. And even though Brandon Ingram's numbers have gotten better, they all are okay with losing. They're all used to losing. They're all not used to closing out games in a positive manner. And is that something that's going to affect the Hawks moving forward in a negative fashion? Like, I watched the Hawks blow a 17-point lead the other day in the third, fourth quarter at the the Brooklyn Nets. And, like, the Nets haven't been lighting the world on fire. But if you're up 18 points and you have a superstar or, quote-unquote, all-star superstar in Trey Young, like, those are games you have to win. And does losing become a part of the the Hawks' DNA? What does it take for them to flip it? Is it just John Collins? I'm hard-pressed to say that John Collins means that much to a team and an organization that they absolutely fall off a cliff without him. So do, do these bad habits really become a huge negative like they possibly can? I think they would. Like, look, is John Collins the difference between the Hawks making the playoffs or not? I don't think so. But, I, you know, they they probably have – they're probably about- being – at last with six wins, they, 10 or 12, they might be in the mix with like the Pistons kind of area or the, or the Hornets. And like, think I, about I how find, we I find that crazy though to Devontae say that he's Grant. worth six wins in 28 games. What about that's a lot what of wins? about John Collins, but he's still on, on juice? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I only want my John's Collins on juice. That's it. It's the only John Collins I want. 
<laughs> That's funny. <All> right. <laughs> anyway, let me finish. All right, so my East All-Star picks, let me just finish yeah, my point here. All right, look, I, I was saying all that to say I'm taking Bradley Beal as a backcourt guy, and I'm also taking Kemba Walker. Okay. Respect that. I'm taking Kemba Walker because he's, he's 22 and a half points, five assists, four rebounds. He's like the Celtics have shown that they're much improved this year. I think sliding, and we've seen it with the Nets, and we're probably going to talk about it later. You see the Nets and what they they were four and seven with Kyrie. I don't. That's not really fair because it's like the first eleven games. It's fair. New guys on the team. <laughs> I don't think it's totally. Fair. Whenever you have new guys on the team, it's 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 not chemistry fair. is so important in basketball. And uh, Kemba Walker has just kind of slid into. He he's basically like the only new piece to this team in terms of like the starting lineup. I guess that and having you know everyone around more consistently. They lose Al Horford. They got to slide in like Daniel Tice or whoever who was already on the team and i guess enos Cantor, um but I, I he's really the only variable and he's been seamless transitioning into the this team and it's it's fun to watch him win even and and basically maintain the same uh same same production that he had in charlotte you know in terms of efficiency um and for my front court i have Giannis and bead and siakam i think you know, Jimmy Butler definitely has a chance to steal that Siakam spot. I kind of had him in there because he was so, so good before he got hurt. And uh, I just don't want to forget that. In my mind, he's still still having a better season than, than Jimmy Butler. Yeah. But it's close. He's been it's insane. As, as, that's definitely the point. The point of contention in the East is definitely the front court. Uh, the the back sure. the back court you Bradley Beal Kemba no one's gonna bat, bat an eye Bradley Beal Trey Young I think the only one person who you'd bat an eye on is if Bradley Beal doesn't get in that spot because he's just been on a new level of performer so far this year and the Wizards have one of the best offenses in the league even though they suck <laughs> um, yeah it's so they're such a weird team to me I don't know whatever yeah but he, he's been so good like it's been fun to watch them they've been they've been more competitive than uh than you think yeah so some of the other guys we a mentioned lot, a lot of close games who uh should be in the running here for probably not starter spots but you know spots on the all-star team include bam Adebayo, uh damian lillard obviously donovan mitchell uh does nikola jokic get enough love from based off past performance and his starting to figure it out maybe nikola jokic trez harrell uh we said carnsey towns got to pay the price yeah you know that's what it is and He's then also be an all-star Chris but. Paul? How about Chris Paul back in the All-Star race? How about that? I think that's possible. I don't think it's crazy to say. He's been really good. I wouldn't say it's crazy, especially since the coaches pick the reserves, and they tend to lean heavily towards, towards older guys. And he's been guys. really good. Like, he's he's been nah, he has solid. Been for sure. Like, oh, it's crazy. Chris Paul's image is being... Uh, restored in front of our eyes. Absolutely, sure. absolutely. And also, one more question. Just uh, you can do like a sentence response here because I want to move on. Uh, more likely to be an All Star, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? Probably Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. Uh, two. I, I agree. Christmas Three. Day game. The Christmas Day game was pretty telling to me. Like Jason Tatum does not see anyone else on the floor. Like his favorite player growing up was Kobe. He worked out with Kobe last year. Still too much Kobe in his game. And my my brother was going crazy over this. Um, when we were watching together, but Jalen Brown, like he, he just he's got a like, bag, bro. I dude, like he's he's got some. He's improved so much year over year over year, and maybe that maybe our expectations were too high for Tatum out of the gate after that rookie season. But in my eyes, I, I just feel like Jalen Brown has kind of passed him a little bit. Yeah, Luke Kennard over Jason I gotta, Tatum. I agree. I definitely <laughs> got. Uh, Jalen Brown's got a bag, bro. I like watching that guy make uh, some ISO 
possessions more so than some other guys. He's got the sure. he's got the spin hezzy Jimbo. I'm just saying. Shout out to Kevin. He's Durant. also he also loves doing uh, mid range step backs, which for most Oof, people is like stop stop doing that. Yeah, that when hurts. he does it, forty percent from three. Yeah, no, he's 39%. he's actually one of those guys this year that like I'm watching him do it. I'm like, okay, yeah, all right, do that. Okay, that's not yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, yo. Let's move on to our next topic here. Uh, let's make this one quick because it, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting topic. But there are teams that aren't, you know, they're not the money makers in the NBA here, but interesting nonetheless. So we're starting in the Western Conference, and we're going to play a quick game of uh, which record is more surprising? Some for positive reasons, some for negative reasons. So let's get it going. The first one uh, was just mentioned quickly with Chris Paul and earlier with the Thunder. Uh, they're seventeen and fifteen, and they're in the seven seed. They've been playing very well. They've won seven out of ten. And they seem to play to uh, with their competition in a good way, unlike the Sixers and maybe the Clippers. So the Thunder at 17 and 15, or the Suns after their hot start, are now down to 12 and 20, have lost eight out of 10. What's more shocking, the Thunder's consistent rise to the playoff seeding, or the Suns' quick demise after the hot start? Uh, I'm gonna have to go with the Thunder being more surprising. Um... I definitely thought the Suns were going to be better this year than previously, but that is not, it hasn't been a tough task for them because they've been so bad recently. And I still think they actually have improved, even though their record is, you know, still going down. So it's, it's an enigma to be sure, but I did not playoff caliber team before the season started in any respect. So I'm going to have to go with them. I thought they could have flirted with it. I actually don't find either of these records incredibly surprising. I kind of find the records of the teams in between them. So, like, the Thunder are seven, and the Suns are the uh, 11 seed. And in between them, you have the Blazers, the Spurs, and the Grizzlies. I find those three teams more surprising because if you told me the Thunder were 17 and 15, I'd be like, all right, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, they have some good guys, like – Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Chris Paul, obviously, Danilo Gallinari, Steven Adams. Like, those are all good players that you could see on a, on a solid, you know, like eight, six, seven, eight seed, right? But in the West, we thought it would be – I personally thought it was going to be really tough, and it looks like this is but, – but it looks like this is going to be the year that, like, the Spurs take a major step back. And then the Blazers, like, missing Yusuf Nurkic has affected them more than I realized. So they've – I feel like the Thunder have kind of performed as I expected them. And the Spurs, or I'm sorry, the Suns, you know, to to you, what you were saying about Chris Vernon and the Pelicans, like the Suns have just kind of lost over the past decade. Like they've done nothing but lose. So now this is this is what they are. And even though the, a lot of the players have changed, the DNA of the franchise is still there, which is, I, I find a little surprising because of how well they were clicking early on. So I'd say probably the Suns even though I don't find their record too surprising. Honestly, it could have been what's least shocking. That could have been the same question for the same two teams, what's least shocking, and then you could have said it's least shocking that the Suns have fallen off the face of the earth because they're just losers by nature at this point, as unfortunate as it is to say. Uh, but yeah, I think the Thunder were one of my locks for over this year. Shout out to me. And you guys kind of called me out and you were just basically saying, you know, they have good players and your points are valid in that regard, but there's trades to be made for the Thunder and they're not helping them win now. At this point, with the way Shea Gilgis-Alexander's played, Chris Paul's played, Danilo's so solid, 
Like, maybe they say, let's keep rolling here. Maybe they say, let's make the playoffs. We still have all these freaking picks. We can make trades in the offseason. There's not a real reason for us to tank right now because even our tank may end us up in the eight seed. So, I don't know. I think the Thunder are a real fun team to watch. I've watched a weird amount of them this year, like way too much for a regular person. But they're fun. They're 17 and 15. And watching Chris Paul Cook and Shea Gilgis Alexander play both on and off the ball successfully has been really cool. Suns, heck them. I don't know what to say. Kelly Oubre, the lone bright spot for me on the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker is what he is. Aaron Baines, obviously, really nice season so far. Like really, really nice. Has fallen off a little bit. Kelly Oubre. I think proven himself as an NBA commodity at this point uh, as that lefty slasher who plays harder on defense than I think any of us would have ever imagined. Shout out to Oubre. That's all I got. That's how he made his bones when he was on the Wizards when he was young. He was like a really good defender. Like that was that was the thing, and then he just got a little bit too much J.R. Smith into him. <laughs> yeah, he became yeah, a little too rambunctious. Like the legs leave. Like now he just puts people on posters though. Yeah, yeah. pretty cool. For all real. In particular. Yeah. yeah. All right. I mean, he's got he's got like five of them this year. He does. He, he's been fun to watch, Ubre. I will say. Uh, but let's move on to our Eastern Conference more surprising team. Are we more surprised in the Heat's consistency and rise to a two-seed at 24-8? and eight, Or that the Brooklyn Nets started off 4-7 and seven with Kyrie Irving and since then have upped their uh, record to 16-15, and 15, led by Spencer Dinwiddie, even with Karis LeVert uh, sidelined quite a bit as well. What's more surprising, the Nets' rise since the Kyrie injury or the Heat's absolute consistency and dominance over the Eastern Conference right now? Gotta um, say the Heat. Yeah. You gotta, gotta say, say the Heat. Like the Nets with Kyrie, I still didn't have them as like a top four team. Or like they, they would maybe, I maybe would have had them like five or six. So them being at seventh isn't like totally crazy to me. But the Heat being the number two team with the 24 and eight record, is really, you know, we talk about plug and play, like the the superstar coming into a different team, whatever. Like, so finding that continuity and chemistry is really tough. But Jimmy, we but the other thing we all said was Jimmy Butler is like the epitome of a Heat player, like someone who's just a complete psycho with work ethic and competitive nature. Like that's what Pat Riley wants. That's what Eric Spoelstra wants. He's a guy who's going to try just as hard on defense as he does on offense, if not harder at times. So it, it really was kind of a match made in heaven. And I'm, you know, I'm not surprised. I, I, I thought they were going to be a playoff team, but I didn't think they were going to end up with a better record than like the Celtics, the Raptors, the Sixers. Long season ago, but at this point, that's more surprising. Agreed. Definitely most surprising. Um, like you, I'm not surprised that Jimmy fits in Miami. Uh, he seemed to fit everywhere from a winning perspective, anywhere he's gone. So I think it's about time Jimmy starts getting the respect he probably deserves as one of the better players in the NBA, two-way. Um, I think we get over-enamored with offensive stats sometimes, but like the two-way guys are the guys who are winning usually. Yeah. Um, and, and Jimmy's been that kind of guy for you know the better part of five or six years. So, um, yeah, definitely more surprised by the Heat being so dominant. I didn't see Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo being this good this year. Derek Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. Tonight. Even showing people like they 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 are the epitome of of a patient franchise as well. They were sit on a guy who's got like a raw talent, a raw athleticism, something like that, and just teach him basketball, which I, th- I think is an admirable thing. I think there's a lot of parallels between like them and the Raptors and the way they develop. Yeah, for sure. And also a also a quick moment of silence to the official sinking of Waiters Island.
Oh, yeah. Sheesh, dude. Yeah. Tough look for our guy, Dion Waiters. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with you guys. I think Duffy, you're making a good point. It's really not that fair yet for a new team with this new centerpiece to be judged on 11 games. Who would? Who but, knows if Kyrie kept playing and didn't get hurt yet? If they did start get closer to, to 500. But to that point, though, the the Heat, the Heat and Jimmy Butler's new addition, they snapped right though. That's true. That and that's not just one new addition for them. They but also had a big subtraction, which may have been an addition by subtraction. Hassan Whiteside, and then Hero's oh, new. 100%. None is new. Duncan Robinson isn't new to them, but he's new to being consistently in their rotation. He's shooting the lights he out of the up ball. And down with the G League last year. Exactly. So they're they're really impressive right now. I mean, we always talk about Eric Spolster being some great coach because uh, I think he is, uh, but he really is proving it more so this year than I think maybe ever in the past, even when they had that sick run He's to make the playoffs. He's making a push for coach of the year. Like, if they stay in the top four. Why not? Absolutely. You can't give it a Budenhoser with Giannis. You know, you can't do that twice in a row. Uh, so I think it would have to be him right now. Uh, but let's let's move on to our last segment of the day, uh, one that I've been well, – No, no, oh. one thing I want to bring back up about Jimmy Butler, like the thing – the issues he always had with teammates, like he always hated when they wouldn't work as hard as him. True. On the If you're on the heat, you have no choice. Like – they're militant with the way they run that franchise and like the, the percentage body fat you are, aren't allowed to have, like it's all kind of crazy shit. Yeah. And, and uh, also the Tyler hero factor there where yeah, Tyler hero, say the reputation for hating young players. And yeah, hero was just like, Oh, Jimmy Butler's our best player. He wakes up at 4am to work out. So am I like, so that's what I'm doing too. He's basically just like, Oh, that's what this guy does. He succeeds. I'm doing the same exact thing because I want to succeed just as bad as him. And you just don't find that every day with young players. You really don't. Tyler Tuesday greater than Taco Tuesday. Oh, the spiciest of takes here on the NBA like Outsiders. That's like a hot take. Finding out that neither of them could swim at the same time. Jimmy Butler was like, <laughs> "All right, this was just kind of, this was just kind of like a like a funny thing. Like, yeah, Tyler here's my boy, but like, yeah, he's he's cool or whatever. But you know, I don't know how how much I really fuck with him." And then he's like, I, I can't swim either. And he was like, all right, this is my guy. Yeah, he said, this is my oh, guy. Like, shit. I don't he goes, know why, oh, shit, you really do have hood tendencies. Yeah, you got it. No <laughs> wonder you run with us. You would run with us. Give me some. Like, that was such an amazing. That was clip. sick. That was absolutely, absolutely sick. One of the best moments. I don't think that's a hot take, Duff, that Tyler Tuesdays is better than Taco Tuesdays. It's just not being said enough. So thank you for putting that into the world. Yes, yes. All right, well, now let's move on to our last segment. And for that, Duff, we go back to you for our uh, weekly or bi-weekly segment of Life Comes At You Fast. This is a specific one uh, who the New York fans of the sports blog New York Podcast may hate or may enjoy or may love to hate or hate to love. I'm not sure, but Duff, Life Comes At You Fast. Who's our winner this week? So the winner this week of the uh, the Draymond Green Memorial Life Comes At You Fast award is uh, none other than David Fisdale. Ooh. former coach of the Knicks, a guy we've talked up a lot on this podcast. And, you know, a lot of times you can get caught up in what, what people are saying in the mainstream media, right? There's a narrative. You kind of just get stuck to it. There's some sound bites that Fizdale's had that we really like. He seems like a cool dude, a guy you would like to hang out with, watch a game. But when it comes down to just the results and the X's and O's of it, are we sure he's a good coach? Are we sure? Like, is we sure his own assistant seems to be doing better than him? And I know sometimes teams tend to have a little uptick when they lose a coach, but this seems to be a little bit more real if you actually watch the games. I don't know. You you guys are the uh, Pete. You especially are the are the big time Knicks guy. Frank's had his heart broken too many times, and uh, yeah. just giving up, which I respect and understand. But you know, <laughs> Pete, what do you think here? Boy, 
Uh, it's tough because I remember speaking to your brother, who's getting a lot of shout outs on today's episode. When I tweeted something about uh, how great it is that they're firing the coach right before a tough road trip where they're playing at the Blazers, at the Warriors, at the Kings, at the Nuggets. Now, granted, the Warriors and Kings at that point are not fantastic teams. There, there are no slouches, and the Knicks can't beat anybody. So, those are some tough. That's a tough road trip. A, a four-game West Coast road trip. Yeah, I was like, no, there's no such thing as a sure win for the Knicks. Exactly. So, I'm saying, what a great opportunity for this new coach to come in and fall on his face instantly. And your brother reminded me of the new coach bounce, which is very much a real thing. Where when there's a coach fired and a new coach in place, players tend to try harder because they're now they know they're fighting for their own jobs, and they do want to show out for their new coach and, and show the vote of confidence uh, in a new guy as teams do try to win, whether or not we think they're tanking. Um, but it turns out that Mike Miller has done some things that are actually tangibly better than what was happening with David Fisdale. Uh, rotations aside, because that's something I think we get into later, I think offensively you watch the Knicks right now, and there seems to be an actual plan Right now with the Knicks, there is some more exploitation of mismatches, some more movement, some better spacing. And those are things when you watch a team, you can see. And with Fisdale, the biggest thing was like there's just not a lot of open shots going around. There's a lot of clutter. You're not sure who's playing and why they're playing. You're not sure why Kevin Knox isn't playing as much. But there's some net rating stuff here that's going on with Mitch Robinson, Kevin Knox, and R.J. Barrett, and, and, and Marcus Morris. They've all gotten exponentially better individually and as a team with an offensive and defensive net ratings since Mike Miller's taken over. And that's no slouch. So since he's taken over, they have one, two, three, five wins under Mike Miller. If you don't remember, they only had four in 20-something games with David Fisdale. So now with Mike Miller's 11 games, they're five and six, I believe. And that's something that's not a joke. 11 games is not a super quick turnaround. The new manager bounce may be still there a little bit, but this team is tangibly playing harder and playing smarter. Yeah, I think it's pretty undeniable. Um, I think people get caught up, kind of like Duff said, too much what the media says. And even in that case, it was like, oh, Damian Lillard loves him and Ron loves him and KD loves him. Uh, all of those like other things that David Fizzell was loved for, the Knicks completely missed on. Like, you know, like if, if Fizdale is going to be the piece that got us KD, then he probably keeps his job, honestly, no matter how bad they are this year. But That's a good point. Um, he obviously didn't hit on that point for them. And, you know, I mean, you just said it yourself. In 11 games, he's got more than Fizdale had and slightly more than double the games. Like That just speaks for itself. Um, I think there's been one Fizdale team that in history that has performed probably – Better than expectations is that one Grizzlies year, but in beyond that, I think that was you could even partially put that towards the new coach boost. And, and just, just sure to, yeah, absolutely. And just to reiterate on those net ratings, Mitchell Robinson under Fisdale, a minus 12 and a half net rating, plus 3.6 under Coach Miller. Fizz, I mean, uh, Knox under Fizz, minus 15.3. Knox under Miller, plus 2.4. RJ Barrett, minus 10 under Fizz, minus 4. Uh, with Coach Miller. So those are some double-digit increases for Mitch and Knox, net rating-wise, under Coach Miller. And that has to do with spacing. That has to do with Mitch playing more. And, like, those are just numbers you can't deny. Agreed. All right. Shout-out, Knicks. Shout-out, uh, uh, You know, it's sometimes when, when – I feel like when reporters, like, 
they, they really talk someone up. I think it has a lot to do with their personal relationships and like that this is a guy that they can go to and say that, or gives them some type of information all the time. Yeah, That's like, hey, I need a story. And he's like, oh, yeah, got you. And Fisdell, we do know one thing. He's not a bad uh, NBA analyst on ESPN. But he's pretty good at that. He's pretty good at that. But that doesn't mean he's a good coach, and I hate to say it because I love that guy. I really like that guy. You know, there's some coaches who get hired who you don't really care maybe uh, one way or the other if they're going to do great. Like, Hornacek was a guy I rooted for, I liked, but, like, you know, he's a pretty regular guy in regards to, like, energy and personality. Like, not very lovable or hateable. Fizz was a lovable guy. You wanted him to do well. But sometimes in the NBA, Duff, life comes at you fast. And Fizz will be hard-pressed to find his next head coaching job. Agreed. Yeah, we'll see. Wish oh, the best luck to him. He'll have a it. career in broadcasting for sure. Career in broadcasting or, I mean, he he seems like just a top-notch top notch assistant coach. We need to start thinking about the next, and we can workshop this on another podcast, or podcast but we need to start thinking about the new NBA, uh, uh, ESPN, ABC dream team for, for broadcasting. Post Van, Is Van Gundy leaving? What's going on with Van Gundy? No, I don't think he, anyone's leaving. But I think it's time to start thinking about it. I think okay. they're not as good as they were, you know, five, eight years ago. They're past their prime. I hear you. Yeah. All right. Breen, um, Breen love Breen. Breen forever. Breen or die. That's it. That's what it Bye. is. Bye. <laughs> Just cancel. If he's ever doing a game for ESPN and – Kenny Al- Ken Albert has to do a, uh, a game for the Knicks. Just cancel it. Cancel the game. <laughs> cancel the broadcast. Just put the radio broadcast on TV. Heck them. All right. Uh, Sports Blog New York podcast. Great episode having you guys back talking hoop because it's been a minute. I think we had a week and a half since our last episode. So we're back on the grind. New year coming. New year is right around the corner. Uh, who knows? Maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, it could be 2020 already as we will release this on Monday. But the new year, just two days away from that point. With that being said, Frank Vellani and John Lucas Duffy, I'm Pete Kennedy. Guys, any last words for the Sports Blog New York podcast? Uh, oh, yeah. I got some. I remembered uh, the movie. Uh, Uncut yeah. Gems. Uncut Gems. You got to make a little quick synopsis. I think it was a good movie. Uh, definitely entertaining. Definitely fun. Worth the time. I don't know if uh, Sandler is going to get the award buzz that he wants for it. I don't know if it was that good of a movie, but uh, definitely would recommend. Uh, definitely had some intense moments. Uh, ton of laughs. Good movie. Definitely a good movie. Yeah, definitely worth the time. I saw it the day after Christmas. KG was incredible in it. Yeah, K- KG, was- if anything. Yeah, uh, was most surprising for me. KG was really good. And, Francesa uh, was a lot of fun just to have him. He was only in like two scenes quickly, but it was just kind of hilarious. Just to yeah, see no, him his scenes, his scenes are funny too. <laughs> the dynamic with him and Sandler's character was good. Yeah, he plays a bookie and a, like a restaurant owner or something like that. I don't know. He's he's only in a quick, but it's it is it's a lot of fun. And the thing to remember, they came out of like this A24 studio where like movies like uh, mid-90s, the Jonah Hill movie, which I didn't see, or like this other movie, Lighthouse, it's just Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. It's like a really small studio, but they make really interesting stories. I think it's going to be cool to see. It's cool to see like uh, a studio that's putting out um, different stuff. Different stuff that's not just a remake, that's not just uh, like a Marvel movie or Star Wars or something like that. Agreed. Yeah, it's like uh, kind of like the dramas that we grew up on. Refreshing curveballs. Yeah, refreshing originality. 
That's yeah. so I, I support it. I support A24. Very nice. That's good stuff. Nice last words out of you two. I like that a lot. I, I haven't seen it yet. Do plan on it. We'll see it. Uh, had a nice little trip to the movies during my work day the other day because like it was Chris, the day after Christmas, nobody was in the office. But uh, don't don't tell my boss. I don't think she listens to the podcast. But if she does, eh, there's worse things that could happen. But I, because of the times of the movie, I had to see Jumanji too. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I was during work day. It was probably better. It's like on the grade of like when you get to watch movies because like I kind of shouldn't have been there, so it was felt nicer. But the yeah, uncut gems. The showtime was just too late for when I wanted to leave after work. I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't justify it. But I will see the film. It looks fantastic, uh, and this was a fantastic podcast. So, guys, as always, just thank you little, so much. Just a little inside baseball for Pete here, and for the listeners. Frank and I come on here, and we're like chopping it up in the beginning before we actually do the podcast, and we're like, "Oh yeah, we we're talking about TV shows or movies, whatever. Game of Thrones, The Wire, Uh-oh. Mad Men." Should I cut it no. now? Are you gonna throw shade at me right now? Yeah, hundred percent. So you do. We talk about stuff like that, and then like the next week he comes on, and he's like, "Yo, did you guys see Moana? I love. It was a great movie. <laughs> like, I'm sure it was a good movie or whatever. But like, again, we're talking about like uncut gems and how it's like a really cool, you know, Yo. uh, idea. And it's you know, Kevin Garnett's really fun in it, and it's like this studio doing a lot of cool stuff. And he's like, "Yeah, Jumanji too." Like, <laughs> yo, I'm not that dude too. I'm looking at such a basic dude right now. It's tough. But Inside Out, Inside Out's a great movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Monsters University, have you seen it? It's sick. Phenomenal flick, dude. <laughs> Toy Story 12. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, can't wait. 2029. 20, <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. That that's enough. That's enough. I watched an episode of The Sopranos the other day. That's it. How about that? Hey, hey, you go. Okay, we're we're getting there. We're getting there. All right. Sports Block New York Podcast, NBA Outsiders Edition. John Lucas Duffy, Frank Vellani, and I'm Pete Kennedy. Thank y'all for listening. As, as always, uh, don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts or the iTunes situation and hit the subscribe button, drop a little rating and a review. We always appreciate hearing from you guys. Tell us what you want to hear more of or what you like, what you don't like. Maybe drop some hot takes for us to repeat on the podcast. But as always, thank you. Have a great, happy, healthy new year. The glow up is real for the NBA Outsiders in 2020. Some big things to come, uh, hopefully for you as well. Signing off. Have a great day.